The History of College Football is a podcast dedicated to preserving the college football gridiron memories from years gone by. Please feel free to visit our website at historyofcollegefootball.com. Thank you. Welcome to History of College Football. I am Jay Abramson, and I will take you down a gridiron memory lane. The national champions, the teams, the rivalries, the conferences, the Heisman winners, the rankings. Today, we discuss the 1961 Rose Bowl, a Rose Bowl like no other. There have been many classic Rose Bowl games. The 1902 Rose Bowl, then called the Tournament East-West Football Game, where Fielding Yost's point-a-minute Michigan team obliterated Stanford 49-0. It was a win so decisive that the game was not played for 14 years because it was felt the Western schools were no match for the rest of the nation. The 1916 Rose Bowl game, when Washington State stunned Brown, finally giving the West Coast football a sense of legitimacy. There was the 1929 Rose Bowl, dubbed the Wrong Way Regals game, where Cal's Roy Regals picks up a Georgia Tech fumble, got turned around, and raced 69 yards the wrong way. The 1939 Rose Bowl, the greatest upset of all time, when USC injected a fourth-string quarterback in the waning moments of the game and, in the last 40 seconds of the game, led USC down the field to score a touchdown to propel USC to a 7-3 win, scoring the only points Duke would allow all season. And then, of course, the 2006 Rose Bowl, where Texas quarterback Vince Young, on fourth and five, with 19 seconds remaining, took matters into his own hands and darted nine yards for the game-winning touchdown against USC. But for all the glorious history of the Rose Bowl, none were as weird and as unexpected as the 1961 Rose Bowl. This is the story of the 1961 Rose Bowl, a Rose Bowl like no other. The game pitted number one Minnesota, 8-1, against number six Washington, 9-1. See, back then, the final AP poll was determined before the bowl games were played. Minnesota entered the game a seven-point favorite, near about a prohibitive favorite, and we'll get back to this in a moment. But first, how did the teams get there? Well, Minnesota won its first seven games of the season before losing to Purdue in an upset. They went on to beat Wisconsin to enter the Rose Bowl game. They won decisively. Their closest game was a 7-0 defeat of Northwestern, except for that one loss. Washington Huskies' path was a little bit different. They won the first two games, then lost to number 17 Navy before running the table for the rest of the seasons. But three of their games were decided by one point and one game by two points. So, let's proceed to game day on January 2nd, 1961. As mentioned... Number one, Minnesota 8-1, was a seven-point favorite, despite the fact that Washington had won the Rose Bowl the year before. Why? Why was there such a large point spread for these two teams with relatively comparable records? Well, there were three reasons. One, injuries. The Huskies were dogged with injuries. Quarterback Bob Schlerett had been out six games early in the season with a broken collarbone. Oh, and one more point to mention here. Bob Schlerett was blind in his left eye from fireworks injury that he suffered at the age of five. He had no vision in one eye since childhood. Running back Don McKetta. He had slashed his right calf during the Apple Cup game that required 10 stitches. And fullback Jim Jones had his appendix removed two days before the game. The second reason Washington was a seven-point underdog 
was that though both teams ended with one loss, Minnesota again was number one, eight and one, number six, Washington was nine and one. Minnesota was felt to have played a stronger schedule. Now, moreover, the Gophers soundly defeated a then number one ranked Iowa team, 27 to 10. And it was an Iowa team that was felt to have a similar style to that of Washington. The third reason that Washington was a seven point underdog was that they won four closely contested games, three by one point and one game by two points. By comparison, Minnesota's closest win was by seven points. So, in front of over 97,000 fans at the Rose Bowl with over 30 million viewers on NBC, recall, back then the population in the U.S. was 180 million. There's a lot of viewers we're talking. Washington stunned the nation early in the game as Husky running back George Fleming returned the punt for 17 yards, and later in the drive, that same George Fleming kicked the 34-yard field goal, which, by the way, was the longest in Rose Bowl history at the time, to put the Huskies up 3 to nothing in the first quarter. Early in the second quarter, a four-yard touchdown pass from quarterback Bob Schlereth to Brent Wooten put Washington up 10 to nothing. A stunned viewing audience watched the seven-point underdog Husky team score yet again when, following a 31-yard scramble by quarterback Schlereth, with 4.14 left to go in the first half, Schlereth plunged one yard over to give Washington a surprising 17-0 lead. Again, Schlereth had been out six games early in the season with a broken collarbone. The Rose Bowl crowd, the 30 million viewing on TV, were astounded to see a wildly unanticipated thing Washington lead against the number one team in the nation, Minnesota, at halftime. And... If the stadium crowd and viewing audience was stunned up till now, they were unprepared for what was to come at halftime. It is a rare moment when during a podcast covering just about every topic I can possibly think of that I take time to discuss the halftime activities. But what occurred was later coined as the Great Rose Bowl hoax, the greatest collegiate prank of all time, brilliantly conceived, flawlessly executed. At halftime, on January 2nd, 1961, a group of Caltech students called the Fiendish 14 executed a stunt to end all stunts. During the halftime festivities, those in attendance and the over 30 million TV viewers on NBC were unaware of what was to come. During halftime, NBC cameras panned to the student section that were raising flip cards as they displayed images and words. Now, the first 11 designs, they were ordinary. The 12th design, it was supposed to be a husky dog, but it was a beaver, the Caltech's mascot. The subtle difference, though, was barely noticed. The 13th design was supposed to be the script Washington, but it appeared backwards. People figured it was just a mistake. But it was the 14th design that was unmistakable. Like I said, a prank to end all pranks. The Washington students unwittingly spelled out Caltech, C-A-L-T-E-C-H, in big block letters on a white background. There was a hush throughout the stadium. NBC announces Mel Allen and Chick Hearn fell silent for several moments. And then laughter broke out. See, the Fiendish 14 students from the California Institute of Technology managed to alter the card stunt shown during halftime by making Washington fans inadvertently spell out Caltech in big block letters. And it was seen by over 30 million viewers on NBC. The prank has been described as the greatest collegiate prank of all time. Now, how did the Fiendish 14 perpetrate such a hoax? It started back in December, about a month earlier, 
Lynn Hardy, a 19-year-old engineering student from Caltech, thought his school was being, in nowadays words, disrespected. Caltech was ignored up to the Rose Bowl. And this was not right, he thought. See, Caltech often played in the Rose Bowl, which was just a few miles from campus. He formed the Phoenix 14, and these students wanted to reap attention to their school. Their first matter was to disguise one of the Phoenix 14 as a reporter, and he interviewed a Washington cheerleader, the head cheerleader. He learned the Washington fans in the student section were to be given flip cards during halftime. That's it. That set the wheels in motion. Next, the Phoenix 14 broke into the cheerleader's dorm room and removed the instruction sheets and altered the instruction and flip cards that were to be given to the Washington students. And the rest is history. Well, coming out of the halftime break, Minnesota scored a third-quarter touchdown that ended the scoring for the day. On the game's final play, fullback Jim Jones, who, if you remember, had his appendix removed two days before the game, came into the game for that final play. Final score, Washington 17, Minnesota 7. An upset for the ages. Aftermath. After graduating from Washington, quarterback Bob Schlereth played two seasons in the CFL. He later served as an assistant coach and assisted in recruiting Sonny Sixkiller to Washington. Schlereth was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame and Rose Bowl Hall of Fame. The great Rose Bowl hoax? Well, it inspired several hoaxes that followed. For example, the 1984 Rose Bowl hoax, where a group of students altered a scoreboard to show Caltech 38, MIT 9, as opposed to UCLA 38, Illinois 9. And there was the 2014 Rose Bowl hoax, where a sign spelled out Caltech. History remembers the 1961 Rose Bowl as the game where the winning team was a prohibitive seven-point underdog. The winning team was led by a quarterback who was blind in one eye since the age of five and had been out six games earlier in the season with a broken collarbone. The winning team had a running back who suffered a gash in his right calf during the Apple Cup that required 10 stitches. And the winning team had a fullback who had his appendix removed two days before the game. The winning team defeated a team that was thought to be far superior, a team who had played a superior schedule and who soundedly defeated the number one team in the nation, 27-10. The winning team eked its way into the game, barely winning four games on its schedule. Games that were closely contested, three wins by one point, two, one win by two points. And if that is not enough, during halftime, over 30 million viewers watched on NBC the greatest collegiate prank of all time, the Rose Bowl hoax where at halftime, Caltech students snuck in their own flip cards that were handed out to Husky fans who unwittingly spelled Caltech and was seen by 30 million people. Dare I say, we may never see the likes of this again. This is the story of the 1961 Rose Bowl, a Rose Bowl like no other. Thank you for listening to the History of College Football. I am Jay Abramson. Join us every Tuesday and Saturday for a new episode.